0: Good morning. I'm A.T. Stoddard, one of the elders here at Jordan Valley Church. Our Pastor John is on vacation this week, so I am filling in. I think you get the third string. I'm, Wes is, is here, but not preaching this morning. And, uh, but I'm, I find it a privilege to be here to uh, share God's Word with you this morning. The passage we are looking at is in Malachi, chapter 2, starting at verse 17 the end of chapter 2 and then we will read into chapter 3 verse 5 so our passage Malachi 2:17 through 3:5 you have wearied the lord with your words how have we wearied him you ask by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the lord And he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand this passage. Open our minds and hearts to receive your word. Speak to each of us in what we need to hear. May we be convicted by your word today and seek to live more faithfully, moment by moment, in the coming week. Let the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. But we are working our way through a series of sermons from the book of Malachi. This is the fourth in the series as we look at God's unbreakable love for His people. Last week, Pastor John said that Malachi is a challenging book, and the passage we looked at last week. Was difficult. I think our passage today may be no less difficult. We did learn earlier as we started to look into this book that Malachi was likely written around the time of the rebuilding of the temple under Ezra. And Malachi, the name of the book, really may be a proper name, although it is not used as a proper name anywhere else in the Old Testament. The word Malachi means messenger. It may be used as a proper name or as messenger. Here that is not certain, but it is clear. This is God's message being delivered to his people. Sometimes Malachi is translated as angel. Again, God's messenger in the Old Testament. And today we are going to be looking specifically at God's messengers. And although this was written many years ago to Israel, the words of Malachi have significance for us today. I've shared with some of you how my work life suddenly became much busier in December. I thought things were going well as I transitioned from what was part-time work to having very few responsibilities, very little time involved in in my employment, and more time for other pursuits. That changed drastically in December. I've been working for about five years now as part of a team to help a small city in Nebraska uh, improve their public transportation service. Last year, the new services began and were received very well in the community. A new manager was hired a year ago and took over management of the system. At that time, our team transitioned to provide support, but really more in an advisory role as needed. Last summer, the board of directors began asking the manager for more detailed financial reports, but did not receive those. There was always a reason he wasn't able to produce them for the board of directors. The board began to realize that something wasn't right in early December and probed for more information. And in mid-December, they discovered there were numerous credit card charges at nearby casinos, and that the bank accounts had been drained. The continued investigation revealed that at least $750,000 was missing, as well as the manager. The best guess by the criminal investigators at this point is that he is now in Mexico. But the impacts on this little community are significant. The transit service had to shut down because they had no cash to continue operating. Hundreds of people had come to rely on the service to get medical appointments, medical treatment, dialysis, get to work, get to school. Many of them have no other option. Most cannot drive or or do not have a vehicle. About 60 people lost their jobs and are now worrying about how to pay the rent. A number of local businesses are owed hundreds of thousands in unpaid bills for work they had done or for things they'd sold, like fuel, that you can't repossess. I spent quite a bit of time in the last month working with the agency to determine how much they really owe and how they might resume service. And I suspect that if you are in Mexico with half a million dollars in cash, you can live comfortably while others are left behind wondering how to pay rent or feed their family. We see injustices like this and many others daily, and we might be tempted, like the people in verse 17, to cry out, where is the God of justice? where is the God of justice? The main point I want you to consider as we work through this passage now is that God remembers his covenant promises and is transforming a people for himself. As we consider the passage that God remembers his covenant promises, I want to look at four things in these verses. First, is the complaint against God. Second, we will look at God's messengers. Third, I want to consider God's transforming power. And then fourth, we will look at God's justice. So first, the complaint they bring against God. In chapter 2, verse 17, the first verse we're looking at, God said he is wearied by the words of his people. And they ask, how have we wearied him? God's people often grumble against him. We saw that when we worked our way through the book of Exodus. People were always grumbling against something God was doing. But I think this is different. Here the people actually accuse God of injustice. Listen to their complaint. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. This is not the the same as a, a lament. You know, there are many psalms of lament that long for God to act. In fact, if we look only at the second complaint, where is the God of justice, we might miss the accusation. It sounds much like a lament. Where is the God of justice? Listen to David's lament, just pulling one from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. David asks, where are you, God? Why do you not answer? David is crying out to God, seeking God's help. Is that different from the people's cry in verse 17? Yes, there is a big difference. They accuse God of not being just. They say, where is the God of justice? This is a sarcastic accusation, because the people have just accused God of calling evil good, And delighting in those who do evil. They claim that God is ignoring evil. But God, speaking through Isaiah, says Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. God never calls evil good, He always condemns evil. God does not tire of our cries for help, but their accusations are what weary him. They are effectively saying there is not a God of justice. God then answers their accusation, but not directly. God is sending his messenger. This is our second point, God's messengers. In verse one of chapter three, God is sending his messenger, his Malachi, to prepare the way. We learned that Malachi means messenger, and although it could be a proper name for a prophet or someone who brings God's word, now it is likely describing God's messenger who would prepare the way before him. It was often common for kings to send a messenger, a forerunner to announce their coming, We we see it when Jacob returned and he's approaching Esau and he sends messengers with gifts out ahead of him to earn Esau's pleasure or good favor. We see it today if you've ever had the opportunity to observe a, a presidential motorcade. The motorcade has motorcycle officers in the front, other police vehicles are positioned well ahead to stop traffic. You cannot miss when the motorcade is coming. Traffic is stopped in all directions well before the arrival of the motorcade, and it does not move until the president is well past. You see it when world leaders travel. There's always an advance party that goes to make preparations. So who is this Malachi, this messenger in verse 1? Well, God does not leave us wondering who this messenger is. It would not have been as obvious to Israel when they first heard this, but God has clarified it for us. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, we read, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In Matthew chapter 11, speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Mark quotes the passage we just read from Isaiah of the messenger preparing the way and describing John the Baptist. We find a similar quote in Luke chapter 7. We see that this prophecy and the messenger is of John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah. God announces through Malachi, the Old Testament, Malachi, the messenger, that he will have a messenger to prepare the way and announce the coming of the Messiah. And Malachi continues He says, The Lord will suddenly come to his temple. John was to prepare the way, and then Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, when he came to earth, went to the temple at least three recorded times. We know first that he was taken to the temple following his birth. As an infant, he is seen and recognized by both Simeon and Anna. And Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. At age 12, he was found sitting in the temple with the teachers. He responds to Joseph and Mary. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And then again in Matthew 21, he's in the temple. And this is where he drives out the money changers from the temple. And in John chapter 2, he even describes himself as the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But then, who is the messenger, again, Malachi, of the covenant, if the messenger is John the Baptist, and the Lord will come to his temple? The messenger of the covenant that we read in this passage is the Messiah. It is a prophecy of Jesus coming, the messenger of the covenant. We see that in Hebrews, beginning with chapter 1, the first two verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the Savior of God's people, but he is also God's messenger. He is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. The Israelites were looking for the coming of the Messiah, the one in whom they delighted. God spoke through the prophets who point to Christ. Now we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the covenant of grace. He is the messenger of the covenant. The promise was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, after they had sinned, and God confronts them in the garden, and he tells the serpent, "'Eve's offspring shall bruise the head of the serpent,' pointing to the work of Christ." God established his covenant with Abraham, as we read in our call to worship. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. The covenant with Abraham was to be an eternal covenant. For God to be their God, the God of the nations, established through Abraham. God continued to confirm his covenant with Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Jeremiah. The promise continues that they will be his people and he will be their God. During 400 years in Egypt, God builds a family of 70 into a nation. They entered Egypt as nothing more than a clan. They leave As a nation, the Lord will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant is coming, declares Malachi. In verse 2 of chapter 3, the question is asked who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? This must refer to Christ's second coming. He did not come in judgment at his first coming. He did give a taste of his coming judgment when he drove the money changers from the temple, but he spoke much more of his future return in judgment. God does tell us who shall stand in his presence. He answers the question for us in his word in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, And a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully and in hebrews 4 verse 16 let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace why are we able to draw near to the throne of grace jeremiah Introduces us to the new covenant and helps us to understand that. What is new in what Jeremiah tells us in the covenant? Jeremiah says, God's word is written in the hearts of his people. God continues to have his promise to have a people and to be their God. But now it is through the Holy Spirit working directly in the hearts of Of his people. Those who can endure the day of his coming are those in whose hearts God has written his word. This is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit whereby we are justified and declared righteous in God's sight. Like Abraham, we believe and it is counted as righteousness. This brings us to the third point. God's transforming power. In verses 2 and 3, he is like a refiner's fire, like a purifier of silver. The refiner's fire is high, intense heat that melts the silver or gold, burns off the impurities, the dross. The refiner's fire could be described as a smelter or a crucible. A crucible is a container that can withstand the heat and hold the metal to be refined as the impurities are burned off. Sometimes the word crucible is used to refer to a difficult experience or a severe trial or test. In the Marine Corps, recruits complete the crucible as their last test in basic training or boot camp. The crucible is a 54 hour long, intense, training exercise, bringing everything together that they've been learning in the previous months. When they complete the crucible, they have earned the right to be called Marines. God refines us in the crucible of life to be purified and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Not that we earn anything, but God purifies us, burning off that dross, those impurities that we have you will also be like the launderer's soap. It's interesting because some translations call this the fuller's soap. Fuller is a word that I think few of any of us would understand. Uh, my New American Standard has a side note that says laundrymen. So I know that a fuller had something to do with, with laundry, uh, but it is not a word that's in common use today. But <clears throat> when you go to craft shows or gift shops, You know, you can always find many varieties of handmade soap. And they seem to have lovely scents, at least in the minds of some. They might have unique ingredients, herbs, floral scents, maybe rosemary, basil, balsam, rose petals. These are not the launderer's soap. Neither is the detergent you buy to do your laundry at home. My grandparents were farmers. My grandmother made her own soap. The soap was made from animal lye, or from animal fat and lye. This was not the craft soap you buy at the farmer's market. Soap was harsh, hard on the skin. I I guess you could probably scrub your fingerprints off your fingers with it if you worked at it. But it was effective at lifting dirt out of cloth, although you would not want to use it on some kind of delicate fabric. But the picture God gives us is of intense purification and cleansing. The intense fire of refining precious metal, or the strong soap to scrub and remove a persistent stain. Although we are pronounced righteous in God's eyes, we still have elements of remaining sin. In verse 3, God says he will purify the son's of Levi. The sons of Levi were the priests. We saw in the beginning of this chapter that God admonished the priests and cursed their descendants. Here he says he will purify them, refine them. Then their offerings will be in righteousness. But he also says the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. The priests led the people In worship and sacrifice when the priests became corrupt the people quickly followed but now God says the priests will lead the people in acceptable sacrifice and worship but now in the new covenant God's people are a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession Brothers and sisters, you are the priesthood of God. God refines us like gold and silver to bring offerings in righteousness. God refines each of us in ways that are individually necessary. How God works in my life will not be the way he works in your life. There are things he needs to refine in my life that may be very different for From where he needs to refine you. God knows you better than you know yourself. He has begun a good work in you and he will see it to completion. In Romans 12, the first two verses, Paul writes I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. And acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God is transforming a people for himself. He calls us through the work of the Holy Spirit. He purifies and cleanses us in a way that we may endure the day of his coming. God continues to keep his covenant promise. Listen to the book of Revelations in chapter 21, the third verse. The promise of the covenant is still a future hope for us. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God Himself will be with them as their God. Do you chafe at God's work to refine and transform you? Can you say, as Paul did, that you have learned to be content in all circumstances? Are you prepared for the day of His coming in judgment? Which brings us to the fourth and final point God's justice. Although the people accused God of injustice, he is a just God. He tells us in verse 5, he will draw near for judgment. God says he will be a swift witness against those who do not fear him. This means he will judge those who do not fear him, and he even gives a list. Sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, or those who swear falsely, those who defraud workers of their wages. Think of that agency in Nebraska left without cash. To pay their workers. Those who oppress widows and the fatherless. Those who do deny justice to aliens or sojourners. But God's judgment is not just a subject of the Old Testament. Jesus told us that at the day of judgment he will separate the sheep from the goats. To those on his left he will say depart from me into eternal fire. I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in Naked, and you did not clothe me. Paul told the Corinthians that the the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He provided a list, and he says, do not be deceived, he says. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus and in the Spirit of God. The Lord is coming to judge the earth. Can you endure the day of his coming? God has provided the way to stand when Christ returns to judge. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus to have clean hands and a pure heart? Are you seeking to grow day by day as he refines you and transforms you to the image of Christ? Do you seek to be content, whatever circumstances God has placed you in, knowing that he is refining and purifying you, even when the heat of the fire is intense or the cleansing of the soap is harsh? May we all learn to be content as God refines us, drives away the impurities of our lives in the crucible of life. As he cleanses us like the launderer's soap, that we may present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Let us pray. Father, may we be convicted of our quickness to doubt you or even accuse you. We thank you that you keep the promise of the covenant, that you have completed and fulfilled the requirements of the covenant In your Son, Jesus, give us the faith, strength, and courage to live for you as you refine us and transform us to be in the likeness of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.